talking uh, about standards and convictions, and uh, specifically we're applying that to the area of dress and modesty, um, but there's a lot of things that we need to talk about. Where those principles, how we arrive at, at that idea, and um, we talked last week about convictions. What are convictions? Of course, we said that convictions are things that I am convinced about, and not just in a general sense, I'm convinced about them from the Word of God. And uh, if the Word of God is not my foundation, if I'm, if I'm basing it off of, well, my pastor told me this is what I had to do, or, you know, this is what I've always done, or this is what I've always heard, or whatever else, then, then you're basing that on the wrong thing. Now, those are helpful in, in getting you to the point of establishing those convictions, but they're not, they're not the foundation. And if it's not the Word of God that you're basing them on, then you're basing it on the wrong thing. So we're building up to the idea that you hear often in the Independent Baptist orbit, if you will, of what we call standards. What are standards? How do you get them? Uh, what do they do? Those are the basic questions that we're going to answer. But to get there, I need to define and explain some of the other things that lead us to that point. And so uh, we're talking about convictions. We're going to talk about Bible principles tonight. And then uh, the next time, which next, next Sunday is the young man, so we're not doing it next Sunday. But we're going to talk about preferences and how those things end up um, being part of that whole thing. So last week we discussed what convictions are, how to, how to develop those convictions. We talked about the proper sources for convictions and the improper sources for, for the basis of those convictions. And of course the basis, like I said, has to be the Word of God, which even though society is going to change and society will change and has changed, the Word of God does not change. And so our convictions, by the very nature of what a conviction is, should not. Um, convictions are things that we are convinced about based upon what the Word of God says, regardless of whether society accepts them or rejects them or whatever else. And so that's, that's, where, we, that's where we left off last week with talking about convictions. So tonight I want to build, that with the, build on that with the discussion of Bible principles um, and what they are, how do we apply them. We're not going to be real long tonight, but I have a few verses and, and really two main examples that I wanted you to see in the Bible of principles that have been applied. And uh, basically, what are the, what are principles? How do we apply them? Um, and then, how are they used in this whole discussion? So we'll get we'll get to that in a second. But a lot of the time, um, God reveals His word in a very you know in a very clear statement. All right, and and the Ten Commandments come to mind. Right, Thou shalt, Thou shalt not. That's very cut and dry. Right. Uh, if the Bible says, and, and so we use this as an example, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? We saw that in Exodus chapter 24, uh, ch chapter 20, verse 14. Uh, then in Matthew chapter 5, we looked at Jesus' explanation of thou shalt not commit adultery, and he basically extended even further to say that, you know, uh, lusting after somebody is the same thing as committing an adultery. So, you know, pornography and all those other things would easily be added into that whole thou shalt not, Right? It's pretty cut and dry. It's pretty, pretty clear. Um, there's not really much of a way around it, right? Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Those are, those are the clear, defined statements in the Bible. And there are hundreds of statements in God's Word that are just like that. They're very clear. They're very plain. They're very in simple instructions that draw a line that you should not cross, right? And that's pretty easy. But one of the more subtle strategies that the devil uses a lot of times to persuade God's people that those kind of statements are the only explanations of the will of God in the Bible. Um, the devil uses that in a lot of ways. Well, you can't give me a chapter and verse for that, or you can't say the Bible says thou shalt not, whatever else. And, and very foolishly, a lot, of, 
A lot of Christians seem perfectly content to be persuaded by that argument. If it's not clearly laid out in the Bible, it doesn't say thou shalt or thou shalt not, then we can do whatever we want, or it's not in the Bible, right? Um, th think about using drugs as an example, all right? Is it wrong to use drugs? Yes, right? But does the Bible say thou shalt not snort cocaine? So then how do we arrive at the conclusion that doing drugs is wrong? Right? Look at First Peter chapter 2. Um, there's a Bible teaching that we're supposed to obey the law, right? That's one, of, that's one reason. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Right? Now... There's also the principle in the Bible that we ought to obey God rather than man. So when the government starts making laws that go against the Bible, we stop obeying man and we start obeying God, right? But the Bible very clearly says that we ought to obey the laws, the ordinances, doesn't matter who it came from or where it came from, right? And if it doesn't violate a, 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 a command or a principle in the Bible, then we ought to be following the laws of men. Now, most states have laws that, are, that make drug use illegal, right? Um, and we see here that God reveals his will very clearly. He says, for so is the will of God, right? He's, he's revealing his will with more than just narrow, specific statements. Because in that passage, he does not say, thou shalt not, you know, smoke marijuana. Thou shalt not, you know, snort cocaine, as I mentioned. Thou shalt not do these other things, right? It doesn't say that, but there are laws that say that you can't. And so that's one, that's one reason why we wouldn't do it. Add to that the verses that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Um, we can easily establish the principle that drug use is prohibited in the Bible, right? Um, what is a principle? The dictionary says that it's a comprehensive law, doctrine, or assumption. And the roots go back to the Latin, and it's related to you know, chief, or first, or beginning, origin, commencement, the first part, right? You think of the principle, whatever, that's the first part of something, right? And so the idea here is that the principle is the first thing, the foundation on which we construct a lot of other things, okay? Let me give you, a, let me give you an example in, in secular terms to, to maybe help, help you shed a little bit more light on it. All right, you, you've heard of the principle of buoyancy in science, right? What is buoyancy? It's something that's, you know, something that floats, that, that, that it, it, it applies, or, or that law describes why things don't sink, right? Buoyancy, it's a law of science. So it applies to a wide variety of things, all of which float, right? It explains how they float, when they float, why they float, at what temperature they'll float, lots of different things, right? And it can apply to any number of different items that we're talking about from an aircraft carrier all the way down to a, a life jacket, right? A boat, anything else in between. They all fit along that principle of buoyancy. So you have to understand that principle of buoyancy, whether you're building an aircraft carrier or, or anything else, right? So your specific application is going to vary. What you're applying the principle of buoyancy to is going to vary, but it's always going to rest on the principle of buoyancy. So, understanding that, and then applying that to spiritual things, what is the definition of a principle? It's a general expression of God's word, often with a wide application, right? It's a general principle. It's not a specific command. It's not, thou shalt commit adultery. It's a, it's a general 
idea. It's a general expression of what God's will is that can be applied to a wide range of things that fit within that same principle. It's not, it's not specific. It's general. It's varied. Um, it's submit yourself to every ordinance of man, right? I mean, that, that has a lot of applications to it. Because think about all the ordinances of man that are out there, right? So even though it's wide and varied, it is every bit the will of God for your life um, and my life as, as more specific statements in God's word. So thou shalt not commit adultery and obey every ordinance of man are just as much the, the will of God as each other, right? One is very specific, one is very general and has a wide application, but both are just as much in the word of God and both are just as much the will of God for us as the other, right? Um, it's purposely general so that you can apply it to numerous different aspects of the Christian walk. Uh, at the same time, it's perfectly valid as a foundation for your convictions, which are the things that you are convinced about. So convinced, uh, convictions rest on specific Bible statements, but convictions also rest on Bible principle or more general expressions of God's will. So this point, the, the fact that the Bible principles are just as much an expression of God's will as the narrower statements are, is, is getting increasingly rejected in our generation. A lot of people don't want Bible principles, give me a thou shalt not, and if you can't give me a thou shalt not, then there's nothing wrong with that. And they completely ignore all the principles that we find in the Word of God as if they're not the will of God, as if they're not in the Bible, because, well, it doesn't say thou shalt not. And so when, when those things are rejected, it leaves a huge hole um, you know, in your system of sanctification, because you're missing out on a huge number of things that you should be doing or should not be doing that are not specific commands, but are Bible principles, but they're just as important as the Bible commands because they are Bible commands. They're just given to us in a general way. So, uh, you know, a lot of times the Christians that are saying, you can't give me a chapter or verse for that so I don't have to follow it. You know, uh, you can't preach that if you don't have a chapter and verse that says thou shalt not or thou shalt, right? Um, and, and they're missing a huge portion of what we find in the Bible, which is Bible principles. And so they're, 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 they're ultimately... Uh, being overly dramatic, but they're also ultimately being rebellious because you're rebelling, rebelling against a Bible principle that is just as much the will of God as a specific statement in the will of God. So, you know, what happens then is they're building lives, they're building churches, they're building movements that resemble the world, you know, in every aspect because, well, I mean, even the world knows you're not supposed to commit adultery, right? Even the world knows you're not supposed to lie. Even the world knows you're not supposed to cheat and steal and all those other things, right? But then the world sees nothing wrong with, you know, going out and drinking or going out and doing drugs or going out and doing all these other things that we find the world doing. And what's happening is all of these Christians are doing the exact same thing because, well, there's no chapter and verse that says thou shalt not smoke marijuana so we can go do it, right? And they're missing out on huge portions of sanctification because they're ignoring those Bible principles. They've rejected the ideas that principles and their applications also express the will of God in the same way that a specific command expresses the will of God. So let me give you some principles then. Turn over to Genesis chapter 2 and show you how these principles are applied in the Bible. A principle is a general expression of God's will, often with a wide application. So how do we see that applied in the Bible? We're going to look at two places that establish a general expression of God's will, and then we're going to see an application of that general principle. And the first one we find all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. 
And we'll just look at a couple verses here, but it says this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So you go back to that original context and you see how, uh, how Eve was created, right? God took a rib out of Adam, used it to form Eve, and they became one flesh. So we can see that as well, that Adam cherished her because she was a gift from God and because she was literally a part of him. And when you, when you, when you, take, when you borrow from that literal usage, Adam has given us a biblical principle, right? A general expression of God's will regarding marriage. It's to be one flesh. And it should be close. It should be intimate, right? That's, that's what that one flesh means. And so the husband and wife ought to be dependent on one another. Every other relationship with your parents, with your children, whatever else, pales in comparison to the relationship of a husband and wife, right? And that's the principle that Adam is establishing here by saying, they shall be one flesh, right? Essentially, God is establishing that. But Jesus then, and, and turn over to Mark chapter 10, applied this expression of God's will, that a marriage is one flesh, in a related yet different context than the original. He's talking about it in the, in the aspect of divorce. And I don't, I don't think that Adam was saying that because he was saying, I shouldn't divorce Eve, right? I mean, they didn't even have that concept back then. Adam is giving a general principle of what marriage should be. It's between a, a man and a woman, and it's one flesh, right? That intimacy, that closeness that, that comes by, you know, you're not going to rip yourself in half, right? And, and that's how Jesus is making that application here in Mark chapter 10, verse number 2. The Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. They twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So they're tempting Jesus. What do you say? Can a man divorce his wife? And they said, Jesus said, what did Moses say? And they said, well, Moses said you could write her a bill of divorcement and get rid of her. And, he, and, and, and Jesus said, yes. He, he made that exception because your hearts were hardened. That's not how God intended it to be. God didn't create you that way. God created you to be one flesh. And what, met, what God had joined together, let not man put asunder. So for the purpose of our understanding of biblical principle, we have to realize that when Adam said it originally, there's, there's, not, there's no indication that he was thinking about divorce, right? But then, you know, he, he was thinking about the closeness of the husband and wife and how close their relationship ought to be. But as an expression of God's will for marriage, it has a wider application than just how close you and your spouse are, right? It, it applies to divorce. Because does the Bible ever say, thou shalt not get a divorce? It doesn't say that, does it? There's no thou shalt you know, whatever. It, I mean, it does say let not what God has joined together, let not mad put asunder and everything else. But again, that is the application of that principle that was established all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, right? So th it's, a, it's a reasonable extrapolation. The application is consistent with other aspects of God's will that we see revealed in Scripture. And so I, I think most importantly, it's just as valid of a foundation for our convictions as a, a clear Bible statement is, right? Jesus made that application. If a husband and wife are supposed to be close, then that means you're one flesh, then that means nothing can make that 
separation between that one flesh, right? So yes, your relationship ought to be close. That's a biblical principle. But in, in, in relation to your relationship being close, then you should also not, not get divorced either. The second one we see in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and again, this is, this is a principle and then an application of that principle. We see that principle in Genesis 2. We see it applied in Mark chapter 10. This one is, uh, is, is found in Paul's epistle, epistle to the Ephesian church. And it's, it's a pretty lengthy section, but I want to read it because Paul teaches a principle, a general expression of God's will, often with a wide application, right? That's what we said a principle is. In three verses, he does that. And then he spends another 25 verses giving us the application of those three verses. Uh, let's look at the general principle in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the principle. That's a pretty wide-ranging principle, isn't it? Put off the old man. Put on the new man. That's essentially what he's saying. Well, how do you, what does that mean? I mean, it's, it's not a literal thing that you can go do, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery is a literal thing that you stay away from, right? Um, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel is a literal thing that you should be being involved in, right? But put off the old man, put on the new man. I mean, that's not something that you can take off the old man and put the new man on, right? So that's a principle with a wide application. And then in, in the next 20 verses, essentially, Paul connects the application to the principle by saying, wherefore? And he says that in verse number 25. Wherefore? Putting away lying. Let every, every man speak the truth with his neighbor, for he remembers one of another. Hey, that's one way that you put off the old man, put on the new, right? Put away lying, speak the truth. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil, right? Don't be angry. Don't sin. Don't give place to the devil. That's an application of that principle of putting off the old man and putting on the new. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to, to give to him that needeth, right? Put off the old man. Don't steal. Put on the new man. Go work. Right? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Put off the old man, put on the new. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And put this on. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And it continues in verse number one. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And, and, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all the rest of this passage, but you can go all the way down to verse 20. And Paul is literally applying that principle. Put off the old man. Stop doing this. Put on the new man. Start doing this, right? That, it's a principle that he gives us, and then he goes and applies that, a princi that, that principle in all the rest of those verses. And that's, it, that's exactly the way that it ought to be done. So there's, there's actually 12 applications of that principle in those 25 verses, or however many it is, that Paul gives us after he gives us that principle. He gives the principle, and then he says, okay, you have the principle. Wherefore? 
Here's how you apply it. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. And he gives us 12, 12 applications of that principle. And, and again, I think you'll find those to be reasonable extrapolations of that, right? It's, it's, it's reasonable to pull that out of that passage and say that that's what he's doing is applying uh, specifics to the principle. And so the applications are consistent with other aspects of Scripture that we see that's revealed as the will of God. So they're just as valid of a foundation for our convictions as, as something that is very explicitly given to us as a command in the Word of God. Let's go back again to the real world, uh, look at a modern illustration of how this works, and, and we're, we're, we're coming to a close with this, but again, I, I have a conviction that it would be sinful for me to smoke marijuana, right? There's a lot of Christians that don't see that as a problem, because the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not smoke, right? There's a lot of Christians who have no problem with social drinking and all that kind of stuff. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not drink beer, right? And there's a lot of other things that people say are perfectly fine because you can't give me a chapter and verse where the Bible says, thou shalt not do this, right? And, and they, they and, it, and it, it's, it is to them a perfectly valid reason. To us and to me, it's not a perfectly valid reason because the principles that we find in the Word of God are just as strong of a foundation as an explicit command in the Word of God. The Bible very clearly says that these are the will of God for us too, right? So, obviously, there's no explicit command in the Bible that, that forbids me to smoke. So, what do I base my conviction on? Well, I, I mentioned it already, but, you know, in dozens of states, it's no longer a law that you can't smoke marijuana, right? It's, it's, it's legal in Virginia. Oh, nice. All right. We don't have to follow that rule anymore because now I don't have to disobey. I can smoke it because it's legal, Right? Well, there's other principles that apply too. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in you, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, that's a great principle that applies to a lot of different things, right? If I know that it's harmful for me and I'm doing it anyway, which would be smoking, which would be you know, drugs, which could be a lot of other things, too, that we think many times are perfectly fine, right? Um, you have that side of it, but then also, you know, when the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, I will not be brought under the power of any, right? If you're smoking marijuana and you're high from smoking marijuana, you're, you're being brought under the power of that drug, Right? And you don't have control. How many people say, oh, I was drinking, I blacked out, I don't know what happened after that, right? You're brought under the power of that substance. And that violates a principle that we find in the Word of God. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not be brought under the power of marijuana, thou shalt not be brought under the power of alcohol, thou shalt not be brought under the power of cocaine. It doesn't say that, right? But it's not a stretch to say that this is a general principle with a wide application. I will not be brought under the power of any. So that eliminates drugs. It eliminates alcohol. It eliminates, well, it's just a little sip. Uh, you know, I, I see the, I talk to these people all the time, you know. Well, I, you've never seen me drunk. I drink a lot, but you've never seen me drunk. Well, number one, the very first sip you took probably made you drunk at some point. If I took one sip of alcohol, I'd probably be drunk, right? I've never had it. So it would be, at some point, I violated that to get to the point where I can drink all day and not be drunk, right? But your senses are deadened and everything else. I mean, these people who say, I'm, you've never seen me drunk. 
maybe not drunk where you're out of your mind and throwing up in a gutter somewhere, but you're definitely not in control of yourself at that point, right? And again, it's a general principle with a wide application, and it has just as much of a foundation for our convictions as the explicit thou shalt and thou shalt not commands. And so, uh, you know, there's no chapter and verse forbidding marijuana use, um, and, and honestly, it's no longer legal in a lot of places, so the statements ab about obeying the law would not necessarily apply, but I'm still convinced that I shouldn't smoke marijuana, and I still preach that conviction because uh, it's a Bible principle, and that is perfectly valid as a foundation for my convictions. So convictions are the things that you're convinced about. And the only valid foundation for those things is the Word of God, right? If I'm basing it on anything else, then it's a soft foundation. It's going to crumble eventually. But we, we have to realize that sometimes the foundation is not a specific reference. It's not a specific chapter and verse in the Bible. Uh, sometimes it's one or more biblical, uh, biblical principles. And, and that approach is, is both taught and modeled in the Word of God, which we see with Adam. And then Jesus applying it. We see with Paul and then applying that to different things. And so um, stay with me with this. We're headed in a, in a direction that's going to get us to a landing point with all of these things when it comes to dress and modesty and all those things. But I think it's important to understand these things as we head in that direction because it's not necessarily a specific command that we find in the Bible, but we have lots of Bible principles with that wider application that very much uh, can be... Um, a, a solid foundation for our convictions. So next week, we're going to look at the concept of preference and see where that applies and how that applies in this whole conversation. Well, not next week. It'll be the week after that, I guess. So but let's pray, and we'll be done for today. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you that we do have everything that we need clearly laid out in the Word of God, sometimes by explicit commands, sometimes by very explicit Bible principles. And I pray that you'd help us to understand uh, which ones are principles and which ones we should follow, which ones we use as foundations for everything that we believe. And, of course, all of it needs to be based on the Word of God. I pray that you'd make these things clear to us, help us understand them as we go through it. And, uh, of course, at the end of all of this, God, I pray that, that our heart's desire would be to reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd be pleased with us, with our church, with everything that we do here. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close with our chorus. This could be the day. This could be the day that the Lord returns in glory. This could be the day that He calls His children home. So be faithful in service as you watch and pray.